good morning. Welcome to Phoenix Bible Church. Again, if you just walked in, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. And we're continuing this morning in this series, Broken People, Big God. And we're looking at the story of Ruth. So if you've missed, we started out looking at the story of Joseph. Then we looked at Moses. And now we're looking at the story of Ruth in the Old Testament. And here's what we've seen throughout all these people is that these people are flawed, but God is faithful. And so as we look at Ruth, it's, it's the same thing. We're going to see Ruth is flawed, but God is faithful and does an incredible work in her and through her. And so I'm excited for you to look at that this morning. Ruth hits home for us, our newborn baby. Her middle name is Ruth. And so I'm excited for that reason. But I'm also just excited because this is a great story of God's faithfulness through love. And listen, if you read the story of Ruth, it's four chapters. Uh, there's lots we could pull out. There's lots of aspects we could pull out, but we only have one day. We only have about 30 to 40 minutes with each other. And so we're going to pull out this concept, this truth of love. And so that's what we're going to focus on. And really in two ways, you see the love between Ruth and Naomi and friendship. Right? Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law, so you see that type of love. But the, you also see a love between Ruth and Boaz, which ends up being in marriage. And so we're going to see those two types of love, but really what we're going to see is it's even broader and bigger than that. And so take a Bible, grab that, head to Ruth chapter 1. That's where we're going to start this morning. As you do that, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the story of Ruth. I thank you for the way that you move powerfully through people, despite flaws that you are faithful. And God, you do that today. And so I pray for these men and women that their hearts would be receptive, that you would quicken their minds so they could think clearly, and that in these few moments as we look at your word, you would change us by your spirit, through your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, some background before we get into the passage. We're first introduced to a lady named Naomi in the book of Ruth. Naomi, uh, her home is Bethlehem. She ends up being Ruth's mother-in-law, but there's a famine in Bethlehem. And so Naomi packs up her family. She heads to a country called Moab. Her husband, his name is Elimelech. All right, it's kind of fun to say, Elimelech. Her husband dies when they get to Moab. Her husband dies. But her, her kids go on, her sons go on to marry two Moabite women who we see as Orpah and Ruth. But 10 years later, her two sons die. And so you have Naomi in a foreign land with a husband who's died. You have Naomi in a foreign land with her two sons who have died. So 10 years ago, she picked up her family and thought, man, we're going to go to a better place. We have this family. We're going to go to a place that has food and has plenty. And it's going to be a better life. And we're going to be saved from this famine. But 10 years later, she's lost it all. And that's where we come to in the story. Ruth 1, verse 8. Look at the verse with me. It says this, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. 
If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, right, right then, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Verse 15, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So as you look at this, maybe you've heard that speech before. To be honest with you, I mean, if we're taking speech and communication, that should be in there. All right? It's an amazing speech by Ruth, but there's so much more than that. And you realize that when you look at the life of Naomi. Naomi has, has experienced incredible loss. Right? If you experienced this kind of loss, it would be devastating to you for sure. Right, so we can relate to that to some extent in this culture. If you lost your spouse, if you lost your two kids, if you had moved to a foreign land, that would be devastating for you. But you have to put yourself in Naomi's culture. Like in that culture, more weighty than skills, education, than wealth was your family. Like if all those things are on a list and we're ranking those, your family is at the top, especially for a woman in that day. Like her family was everything. And so she has essentially lost everything. And verse 12 tells us she's older. So you have to think about that. She's older, so she doesn't have parents to go back to. She doesn't have hope for building a new family. And with her son's passing, she doesn't have older children to take care of her. She's essentially all alone, and she's devastated. And in this passage, we see that she thinks, well, at least I'll go home. Home is Bethlehem. And so we don't know how far they got, but it says they're on their way to Bethlehem. So they're in another country, right, Moab, and they're on their way to Bethlehem. And Naomi stops and tells her two daughters-in-law, like, you need to go back. Like, don't stay here. She says that four times. She says, return, go back, don't stay with me. You still have a chance. I may have lost it all, but you're younger. You still have a chance to remarry and gain back a family and have worth and life and purpose and meaning. So Naomi does that, but Ruth resists. And if you look at the passage, verse 14, it says she clings to Naomi. We see with Orpah, she resists at first, but she ends up going back to Moab. But with Ruth, she resists, and she's persistent in it. And we begin to see this picture of loyal love, this picture of loyal love between Ruth and Naomi. And I want you to see it described. It's, it's really relentless and risky. It's relentless in that four times, right, Ruth convinces, or Naomi tries to convince Ruth to go back. Like, why would you stay? Like, even if I can have sons, you're not going to want to wait for that. I have nothing to offer you. But Ruth is relentless. She says, I want to go where you go, stay where you stay, and die there. It's active, relentless love. What she is doing, what Ruth is doing in making this vow, is she's binding herself to Naomi. 
She's making a vow before her and before God to say, I'm going to go with you. Whatever happens to you is going to happen to me. It's a picture of loyal love. And if you think about it, how do you know that love is present? Like, how do we know that Ruth really loved Naomi? How do you know in your life when love is present? You can't see love. Love's not tangible. You can't go to somebody and say, here's a cup of love. I got it just for you, right? You can't do that. How do we know that love is present? By what it does. We know love is present by what it does, by the way it moves. And we see that in this passage. I remember I first uh, realized that I loved my wife. All right? She wasn't my wife at the time. We were dating. And I realized, I think I love this girl. And some of you, I've told this story before, but I was laying on a couch, and I was talking to my roommate, and I was just sitting there daydreaming about what it would be like to marry this girl. And I was thinking about things I'd never thought about before, like a 401K, <laughs> like a career, like I need to get a good job. Like Target is okay for like me and my buddies, but if I want to marry this girl, like i got to do something different. I began to think about the house we would live in. I began to think about what our kids would look like and how they would have a tan and redeem my white pasty self. I began to think about all of that and I began to realize, I think I love this girl. Like, I'm not sure what this is happening in my chest, but I think it might be love. And my roommate is just like, shut up. Like, what are you talking about? But I realized I, I loved her. And you know what I didn't do in that moment? You know what I didn't do? I didn't just sit back on the couch and say, wow, I think I love her. That's kind of weird. Huh. And just go back to playing video games. Right? That's not what I did. I didn't just sit there and go back to playing video games or go back to talking to my roommate. No, I got up off that couch. I went and bought her flowers. Men, listen, I went and bought her flowers. I took her on a walk. I made it known to her. Like I made it known and I began saving for a ring. It moved me to action. Listen, love never stands still. It never does. Not just in marital love, in friendship. It never stands still. It always moves. It's always active. It's always pursuing. It's always relentless. True love is like that in any relationship. And it's not just marital love. We see it here. It's a friendship. We see it in our lives. We just had our third kid. Some of you have shown us active love by bringing us meals. Like, we can't see love, but we can see the meals. Like, we eat the meals, and we know, man, these people love us by what you're doing. There's one girl in our church who lives like an hour away from us, but she brings us a meal. The other day, she offered to come by and take all three of our kids and watch them so my wife could get a break and go have coffee with a friend, which with three kids, that's like winning the lottery, right? How do we know she loves our family? Because we see it by what she does, that it doesn't just stand still, that it, it moves closer, it sends, right? Love sends, it sends emails, it sends texts, it sends flowers, it sends a good word, it sends a good deed to demonstrate that love, and that's what we see, this picture of loyal love, that's relentless. We see that begin to play out between Ruth and Naomi. And we see that 
in our church and want to see that in our church. We've talked about this before, but a piece of our culture that we have is that we want to see love move. As a church, as a new church especially, we want to build a family. We talk about that. We want to build a family where everything matters, and we want to have a love that moves. We don't just talk about love in a sermon. We don't just think that's a good idea. We don't just sing about it. When we demonstrate it, it moves us out into our community. And that's what we see Ruth demonstrate is this active, relentless love. But it wasn't just relentless. It was risky on the part of Ruth. I mean, just imagine. She's attaching herself to a widow who's lost everything. She's going now to a foreign land in Bethlehem, away from her family, away from her connections, away from her traditions, away from everything that she felt comfortable with. She probably, just looking at what we know in this passage, she would have had a better chance of getting a husband back in Moab because she had connections. She had a network of people. It was her culture that she was familiar with. But she leaves all that behind to go with Ruth, and that's risky, and not just for success. Listen, it's risky for her security. It's risky for her success as she looks at the prospect of a a better life. And if you think about it, most of us, if you've come here from another country, that's why you came here. I know my wife's family is from India, and all of her family came here in hope of a better life, right? Physically, right? spiritually, economically. They all came here, and they got others to come here and made a way, and it was really hard, but they came here in hopes of a better life, not in hopes of a lesser life. Here's what's interesting about Ruth. She goes with Naomi, and there's no indication that she's going to have a better life. There's no indication that anything's going to go well for her, but she goes. It's risky. It's risky for her success, but it's also risky for her security. If you look and keep reading in chapters 2 and 3, what you see is Moabites were racial outsiders. They were traditional enemies of Israel. And if you look in the next couple passages, we're going to see this guy Boaz. And what you see is Ruth goes out into these fields to glean the fields. Gleaning meaning she goes out to gather the leftover wheat and grain from the fields to help provide for her and Naomi. So Ruth goes out and does this, and she meets Boaz because she's in his field, and she greets Boaz, and they have a conversation, and Boaz tells her, hey, stay in my field. Stay with my young women. And he orders his men not to touch her. And then you see Ruth come home and talk to Naomi. And Naomi is like, I'm so thankful that you're in Boaz's field because Boaz was a relative of Elimelech, her former husband who died. And she's so thankful that Ruth is in Boaz's field because she says in chapter 2 towards the end, she says, if you were in another field, you could be assaulted. Now, what is happening there? Well, we see Ruth is in a foreign land. Like She's not of their culture. She's not of their race. She's an outsider. And traditionally, she was an enemy of Israelites. And this is where Ruth has made her home. She's risked a lot. It's a loyal love that's relentless, that's risky. And that, that's what we see Ruth demonstrate. And here's what's interesting as we look at this. Ruth doesn't just choose Naomi. She chooses God. Look at verse 15. Naomi says, see, look at Orpah. She has gone back to her people and her gods, her gods plural, that they serve different gods. She says, see, Orpah has gone back not just to be with her family, but to her religion, 
to her view of God. She's gone back to that. Verse 16, Ruth says, your God will be my God. Your God's singular. Naomi, your God, the God of Israel, your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. So she aligns herself not just with Naomi. She aligns herself with Naomi's God. Verse 17, Ruth refers, refers to God as Lord. Don't miss this. Ruth refers to God as Lord. That's the Hebrew word for Yahweh. This is the covenant name of God used by the Israelites who believe, who follow God. And so what we see happen with Ruth and Naomi is Ruth doesn't just choose Naomi. She chooses her God. And here's what's interesting. And as I read about this and thought about this just in a new light is why? I mean, you just look at that right now. Why does Ruth do this? Like it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like God doesn't have the best track record right now. Naomi is in a lonely place. She's in a bitter place. She's in a devastated place. This isn't the best testimony, right? Like if Naomi was on stage at praise night and she's got the mic and she's sharing and just putting her heart on her sleeve about how she's lonely, she's bitter, she's devastated, and you have the pastor in the background. It's like, Naomi, this isn't what we talked about. This is praise Sunday. Like, it wasn't supposed to go this way. Like, say some nice things. And, and about the time he's motioning to the sound booth, like, cut the mic. Just cut her off. Right? This isn't the best testimony, right? But it's Naomi's life, and she's wearing it on her sleeve. But look what happens with Naomi. It's not just a love that Ruth shows Naomi. It's a love that Naomi shows Ruth. We don't often focus on that in this story. But what you see is Naomi has lost everything. She's lost her worth, her family. She's lost it all. But even in that moment, she still puts the needs, the interests of Ruth ahead of herself. We see that verse 8 and 9. She asks God to be kind to her, to this Moabite woman. She asks God to be kind to her, to give her rest, despite the fact that she's all alone. Listen, she probably could have gone to Ruth and said, Ruth, hey, stick with me. I'm old, I've lost a lot, and just at least I can have you stick with me. Let's go to Bethlehem together, and maybe we'll find a better life. She could have done that, but she doesn't. She puts Ruth's interest above her own. She gives Ruth a taste of what sacrificial, loyal love is all about. She gives her a taste of the author of that love. And so you see Ruth choose not only Naomi, but choose the author of love through Naomi in God. With Ruth and Naomi, we get this picture of how powerful love can be. And listen, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what kind of testimony you have. I don't know about your past and what you've experienced. Maybe it's been all fantastic, and you can just say, man, God's been faithful without hesitation. I don't know about your present. Maybe you're just going through some really good times right now and you're really joyful about everything God is and everything that he's done for you. And as you engage people and interact with people, it just flows out of you. Maybe that's you. Maybe for for some of you, everything has gone right. Everything is going right. But I know for some of you, everything has gone horribly wrong. Like maybe you didn't lose your spouse and your two kids. Maybe it wasn't that extreme, but maybe just things haven't gone like you had hoped. 
like in your career, like physically, the pain you experienced, like in your family, relationally, like with a spouse. Maybe you're not married and you hope to be and it just hasn't happened yet. Maybe you don't have kids yet and you hope to be a mom. You hope to be a father and it just hasn't happened yet. And maybe your story is similar to Naomi. Maybe your testimony, if you got up and shared it, would be similar to Naomi. Listen, what I want you to see in this picture of love between Ruth and Naomi is that God redeems the darkness, that God redeems the devastation, that he enables that to be still a picture of God's transforming love, that through all the bad things that had happened, that he's still, through Naomi, able to give Ruth a picture of his love that radically transforms her life, that transforms Naomi's life. And listen, what you notice about Naomi is she doesn't just put a smile on it. She doesn't just say, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Like in the midst of her devastation, she doesn't say any of that. She wears her heart on her sleeve, but God uses that still to draw Ruth to Naomi, but to draw her to her God. And God can do that through you. He did it then. He can do it now. He can use your testimony, your devastation, and your brokenness to draw someone to God. Listen, because God draws people to God. We don't. And as I think about our church, there's lots of pressures, right, to reach people. As you talk to people and you read books and you read articles, some people will talk about, man, you need to do whatever you can to reach people. You need to water down the sermon. You need to make it short, like typically people's attention spans only 25 minutes, right? You make it short where they end up leaving church and they're just like, wow, that was it? It's already over? And there's, there's temptations to do stuff like that for people to, to reach people, to grow churches and to say, you know what, it's all about you. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be great. Your life is going to go awesome. Your wealth is going to increase. Your family is going to be healthier. Like all these things are going to be awesome. You should really trust God. What we see in this passage is that none of that happens, right? It's the polar opposite. Naomi's the worst testimony for God. And yet she shows her a hint of God's sacrificial and loyal love, and that's all it takes. And Ruth says, I'm not going to live here. I'm going to live here. I'm not going to go to this family. I'm going to go to your family. I'm not going to go back to my gods. I'm going to go to your God. Listen, because God draws people to himself. Isn't that beautiful? And God can draw people to himself through you. Whatever experience you're having right now, whatever devastation you're experiencing, or whatever you've experienced in the past, you don't have to clean all that up. God can use you to draw people to himself through his loyal love. And that's what we see between Ruth and Naomi. And then we're introduced to a guy named Boaz. We're going to fast forward a little bit to chapter 4 and see kind of the end of the story, and we'll catch up. Chapter 4, verse 13. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her a conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Verse 15, He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more important, or who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, and she became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood 
gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So I mentioned Boaz earlier, but Boaz is related to a guy named Elimelech, Ruth's father-in-law who dies. Ruth goes to Boaz's field to gather leftovers of wheat to, to glean the field. Boaz is kind to her, right? He protects her. And Naomi realizes this. And what we see happen in the, the middle two chapters is Ruth comes home. She begins to tell Naomi about Boaz's kindness to her and how he's just protected her from these other people that could hurt her and really just been impressed with how she has loved Naomi and how there's this relationship forming. And as Ruth tells Naomi this, Naomi begins to realize Boaz can be our redeemer. And you see that word several times in the book of Ruth. Here's what that means. In Israelite law, a redeemer was a relative who, if they were willing, could buy back land from a family who lost it. Like, and the seller would have had to do it because he was a relative. And this was a part of an Israelite law that someone could be a redeemer. And Naomi has lost her land. And so with Boaz being a relative of her former husband, Elimelech, she has the opportunity, her family has the opportunity to be redeemed and that they get their land back. It gets bought back. In chapter 3, Ruth essentially proposes to Boaz. It's really crazy. In the middle of the night, as her redeemer. So ladies, if your man is dragging his feet, here's precedent, right? Ruth proposes to Boaz. And listen, you need to know in today's Culture, that's crazy. In that culture, that was insane for Ruth to do that. There is a courageous, I mean, before we get to Boaz's love, there is a courageous love, an assertive love that Ruth exhibits. And she goes out in the middle of the night. Who knows what people could have said about that? Who knows what that could have done to her reputation, to Naomi's reputation, to Boaz's reputation? Like, he could have totally shunned her. She took enormous risk. But she goes to Boaz in the middle of the night and asks him, will you be our redeemer? She proposes marriage. She proposes to buy land to Boaz. This was incredibly courageous. Listen, if you're a woman in here, and as you read the Bible, and as you think about church, and as you feel boxed in, and you think, Man, God doesn't want women to speak up or be assertive or to do anything with your life. You need to know that's wrong. Like, definitely, as we look at Scripture, we see roles of men and women, and we fully go by what Scripture says, that men should be the head of the household, that women should submit and come alongside a man and encourage a man. But listen, that doesn't box you into a personality. Maybe you're thinking that. Like, I'm, I'm more assertive, like, I, I want to go out and do things. And you're like, but I don't think that's what the Bible says. Listen, as we look at the the broad pages of scripture, as we turn those pages, pages, we see different types of personalities. We see different types of women. We see one in Ruth who's courageous, who's assertive, who does what culture would probably tell her not to do. Who does, if you came to me and you're a single woman, I would probably tell you not to do that, right? And she bucks that trend, and she's courageous, and she's assertive in her love. So if you're a woman, yes, you need to be submissive. Yes, you need to be encouraging. Yes, you need to be a helper. We can talk more about that later. That's biblical and right. But you're not boxed into a certain type of personality. You need to know, as a woman at Phoenix Bible Church, you are incredibly valued. That you're an important part of the mission of God. 
We're going to find out a little bit later that this assertive, courageous move by Ruth drastically changes not just her current family, but her whole family tree. Her whole lineage is changed by her courageously stepping out in faith and going to Boaz. So I want you to see that as we look at the story of Ruth. It's no mistake that Ruth is in the genealogy of Jesus. We should take notice of how God is faithful through Ruth and her courageous love. So we come to Boaz, and we come to his love for Ruth. We see that Boaz buys the land, he marries Ruth, he says yes, right? You see this picture of redeeming love, and we're going to see that it's limitless and it's life-altering. We see it's limitless, and remember that Ruth is a racial outsider. She's from an enemy land. This wouldn't be who Boaz dreamed of marrying. It wouldn't have been socially acceptable. Like I said, I may have told her or told him not to marry this girl. Like we may have said, you're unequally yoked. Like she's totally different than you. You may not want to do that. Right? And he may have felt those pressures himself. This isn't his dream marriage, but this is what Boaz steps out and does. He marries Ruth. And listen, he could have just, just done the safe thing. He could have just bought the land. It could have been an investment property for him. Like so he could have gained off of it. It could have been helping out a family in need. And he could have just stayed at a safe distance. He could have redeemed in the traditional way of just buying back their land and giving them some sort of ownership in that land and a hope and a future. Boaz could have done that. He could have stayed at a safe distance, but he doesn't. This redeeming love that he has is limitless. Like it goes beyond a property to a person. He doesn't just make a covenant and a contract with a property. He makes a covenant with a person. And Ruth, he gets involved in the messiness of life intimately. And then we see that it's life-altering. Ruth goes from broken to restored, to a woman without hope, to a woman now with land, with a family, with a child. She goes from isolated to unified. And so does Naomi. Naomi didn't have any hope of a family, but now she has one. It says that she's basically holding the little baby and that she's his nurse. And you see, a whole family is changed. Their whole lives are altered. They went from not having a purpose, a meaning, a place, an identity, to having all of that through this redeeming love that's limitless, that's life-altering. And what we see is that baby Obed goes on to be the father of Jesse. If you know your biblical history, Jesse was the father of King David and Jesus Christ is in the lineage, the ancestry of King David. So Ruth goes from this person who's without hope, without purpose, without a difference, Naomi the same, and they end up in the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You see that? It's a life-altering love that Boaz and Ruth experience. And here's what's interesting. This story is life-altering, but if you go on and read the whole story, here's what you'll see that's different from a lot of other books of the Bible and a lot of other stories. As you read this story, there's no mention of miracles. There's no mention of a dream. There's no mention of a vision. There's nothing that seems supernatural about her story. And yet God changes things completely. He changes a family. We see a little bit later that he changes a neighborhood that these women are gathering around. They're like, oh my gosh, that baby's so cute. 
Like, oh my gosh, Naomi, you're so blessed. And these are the same women that when Naomi came home to Bethlehem would have just looked at her kind of funny like, well, she doesn't look that great. I mean, it's been 10 years, but she looks like she's age 30. Like, where's her husband? Where are her sons? Who's this girl? This Moabite girl, she's not one of us. These are the same woman who would have looked down on Naomi, and now they're coming alongside Naomi, and they're saying, this is amazing. Your life has been changed. God is amazing. This is amazing. This kind of redeeming love alters their lives, and it alters the neighborhood of women that surround them. It's a life-altering love, but there's no miracles, right? There's no seemingly supernatural things that happen that we often see other times in Scripture. Naomi doesn't get a miracle. Ruth doesn't get a miracle. What they get is a friendship. What they get is a marriage. What they get is relationship. And listen, this isn't different from today. Maybe you're thinking in your life, like, things aren't going well for me. Like, I really wish God would show up in a miraculous way in my finances, in my health, in my relationships. Like, God, if you would just do that, show me your favor, show up in a miraculous way, and you're praying for that, and you're frustrated that it's not happening. What Ruth teaches us is that God is still moving even in those moments. That even in those moments where it doesn't seem like God is doing something on the surface, that he's moving beneath the surface. And the way that he does that is through relationships. We see it here. You see it in your life. The way that God moves oftentimes is in relationships. The vehicle for God's love is community. If you don't have relationship, if you don't have community, you'll never experience this type of hope. Not in this way. Not in the difficult seasons. Not in the dark moments. Because in your dark moment, in your difficult season, sometimes you will need a Ruth, right? Sometimes you will need a Ruth that comes alongside you and says, hey, I'm going to leave everything behind. I'm going to risk everything. I'm going to be relentless in pursuing you. I'm going to come with you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to do things for you. Sometimes you'll need that hope. Like sometimes it won't be enough just to say, well, I know God loves me. Sometimes you'll need a tangible expression of that. That's community. That's relationship. So as you're waiting for a miracle, you may not need a miracle. You may need a mate. You may need a mother. You may need a friend. You may need community because that's how God demonstrates this kind of hope and love. That's what he does in this story. That's what he wants to do in your life. If you're disconnected from everyone around you, if you've isolated yourself because you're going through hard times, you're going to miss out on this kind of hope that we see in this story. You're going to miss out on that. So as we close, and what's our application? What's our application as we close? Go out and be loving, right? Like I've told you about this love, this loyal love, this redeeming love. This is how God loves you. Go out and do this. Like go out and love people really, really hard. You might make it through the first song with that, right? And then you'll realize, you'll be singing like he loves us. And then you'll realize, I can't love like this. Like, it's too hard. The messiness of my relationships, of my friendships, of my family, loving like this, loyal love, redeeming love, I can't do that. So as we look at the story of Ruth, what can we learn? What can we apply? How can we do better than just go love like this? I've mentioned it, but Ruth is in the genealogy of Jesus. 
like all these circumstances, put her in the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus. Why? Why? Why is this story a part of Scripture? Why is Ruth in the genealogy of Jesus? Because her story points us to his story. As you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus leaves his home in heaven. He enters into human history. And he doesn't just risk security and success. He risks his life. He gives his life for you. He lays it down on your behalf. His love is limitless. Right? It's redeeming. It knows no bounds. As you look at the Gospels, you see Jesus over and over Engage people he shouldn't engage. Love the unlovable. I see Jesus is our ultimate picture of this type of love, of the story of Ruth. You see, his love is life-altering, that it changes your identity, that it changes your eternity. The story of Ruth points us to the story of Jesus. And if you know Jesus this morning, you know this type of love. You know this loyal, this redeeming love. And I imagine if I were to ask you right now, and you were just to raise your hand, like, do you know that God loves you? A lot of you would say, yeah. Yeah. Is this a trick question? Yeah. Like, I, yes, God loves me. I know that. But if I were to ask you in your darkest moment, in your season of devastation, like, does God love you right now? You might hesitate a little bit. If I were to ask you, are you demonstrating this type of love, this loyal love, this redemptive love, are you demonstrating that to your family, to your spouse, to your kids, to your neighbors, to our city? Are you demonstrating that kind of love? You might feel a little guilty, and you might be like, well, I tried. You might hesitate to say yes to that. And as we look at the songs we sing in church, one of the songs we sing a lot is this song, How He Loves Us. And I was going to sing it for you, but my wife's been telling me I'm doing that too much. So um, trying to join the worship team. But I'll just tell you what it says. I mean, it's really simple lyrics, and you know them. It's a really popular song. It's, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. He loves us. He loves us. And it's just over and over. And I remember when that f- song first became popular. And I would be in church, and all the churches I would be in, and we would sing this song over and over and over, and it would feel like it would just go on forever, and as a pastor, I would be cringing a little bit because I'd be thinking about the service order and structure and timing and transitions, and I would be thinking, like, move on. I get it, right? And I thought that until I realized, and this this song's been around for a while, right? Until I realized that I need to sing that song that many times and more until I really believe it. Like until I believe it functionally. Until I grasp that God, the God of the universe, loves me. He loves me with a loyal love that Jesus says I will never leave you nor forsake you. That Romans 8 says nothing can separate you from the love of Christ that he loves me with a redeeming love, that Ephesians 1, we have redemption through his blood, that 1 Corinthians 6, that he's bought us with a price, that while we were weak, he died for us, that that's the kind of love that the God of the universe has for you through his son, Jesus. 
and that we need to sing that song, we need to read scripture, we need to talk to other people in community groups and conversations over and over and over until we're frustrated, until we think we know it, and we need to keep doing it until we grasp that kind of love. It's a loyal love. It's a redemptive love. It's a love like our history has never seen or known before. That's the love of God. So listen, I don't know if you're in a dark moment. I don't know if you're in a difficult season. But you need to experience the love of God afresh in your life. You don't need to just sit back and say, hypothetically, I know God loves me. Yeah, I grew up in church, so that's what the Bible says. I learned a song a long time ago that said that. Jesus loves me, right? I know this. You don't need to just think hypothetically about God's love. You need to see it invade your life. This loyal love, this redemptive love, that it meets you where you are. That it moves, that Jesus is pursuing you relentlessly. That it's limitless. That it's life-altering. Are you experiencing that kind of love? Have you experienced that kind of love? Are you demonstrating that kind of love? If you're not, here's what you do. You look to Jesus who has loved you this way, who has put this love on display without equivocation, without confusion. He's put it on display. You need to receive that love this morning. You need to begin to walk into that love this morning, grasp it, and then... You can love others like this. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your love. I thank you that for these men and women, even this morning, whatever they're experiencing, whatever their morning looked like, whatever their week looked like, that you love them, that you're pursuing them, and that we feel that and we experience that and we trust that through Jesus Christ. That you didn't make us wonder. You sent Jesus to show us what your love looked like, what love does, how it moves. God, I pray this morning, maybe we've never fully grasped that before. Maybe we've been like me who just kind of says flippantly, yeah, I know that, like move on with the song. God, if that's us this morning, I pray that you would convict us of that. I pray that you would redeem love in our lives, that we would begin to experience it functionally in good seasons and bad seasons when everything's going right and when everything's gone horribly wrong like we see in the story of Ruth. God, I pray that as we respond to you that in this moment you would help us to feel your loyal and redemptive love in a way that we never have, in a way that transforms us, that alters our whole life, and that leads us and enables us to love other people like this. We can't do that, so we pray for your help. We do that now. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen.